Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast, and not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you for calling uh, this church into your house today, God, as we gather God, we um, open our ears. God, we give our hearts to you so that you may speak your truth to us. God, we pray not just for understanding of your word and truth, God, but I pray for the conviction that comes through your Holy Spirit, that your word would deeply permeate into our hearts and lives, God, bringing about true transformation. God, today we talk about the difficult topic of immorality, sin, and, 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 and defiling your temple, God. And God, I pray, lead us in your humility, God. May we respond in honesty, Lord God, and trusting that you do love us. Trusting that there is power to forgive and heal in your love, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God. We commit this time on to you. May you be with us, God, every turn, every moment of this time of Hearing your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite movies growing up, or not growing up, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is this little Korean movie that was released in the early portion of the 2000s. Uh, it's, it's one of those typical movies. It's a gangster movie, a lot of violence, a lot of fighting, and a lot of anger. And... Um, uh, I watched it when I was in my early 20s, and, and I would say it impacted my life. Uh, the, if you can't uh, uh, read it, uh, the, the title of this movie is Friend. Um, in the moment where homies were very important for me, uh, deep friendships were uh, very important for me. So when I watched this movie, I, I, I can't say, I, I'm going to have to say, man, it was quite life-changing. So I remember watching that movie. Um, if you were to ask me the most memorable uh, scene of that movie, have you guys seen this movie? By the way, some of you guys are nodding. Okay, you guys, some of you guys. I, I figure some of you guys are too uh, too young, so we are already. This is already 18 years ago, guys. That's crazy. Uh, that's how old I am. I mean, uh, anyway, uh, of all this beautiful, uh, many memorable scenes. If you were to ask me the most memorable and most important scene. 
um, it, I would say, um, obviously, it has to do with friends, high school friends, and this mafia boss is recalling and reminiscing of his younger days. And obviously, he's a good fighter. He's he's a gangster, and, and he's constantly finding himself in trouble. And his best friend happens to be this dorky guy, this nerdy guy, uh, who has no business of being friends with uh, him himself. So uh, one of the nerdy friends is the guy all the way in the back with big round. Big guy way in the back. Um, so he gets picked on. He gets bullied by the rival high school, and he gets jumped. He gets beat up, or he gets uh, you know kind of bullied, right? So what does the main character do in response to his best friend being beat up? He goes and seeks them out, and he just gives them hell. So he successfully avenges friends uh, getting bullied and, and punked, and and the school finds out, and he is suspended. So this nerdy friend feels guilty, so, and he feels bad that his uh, best friend is now uh, expelled from school, and he, his future is uh, cloudy, and he feels extremely guilty. So he ends up stealing a lot of money, all the money that his parents had saved up, and he runs to his best friend and says, Hey, I brought this for you because you got in trouble for me, and, and here, this is the least I can do. For him, in response to that, this gangster guy say uh, basically turns him away, basically scolds him for coming to him with this stolen money, and basically turning him away. In that brief scene, and he says, Henry, and he tells a story that happened many, many years ago, and he talks about how when he was even younger perhaps junior high or elementary. So he got into a big fight. He got in huge trouble in school. And, and he was condemned by the school, disciplined by the teachers, and he came home. And he told what had happened at school. And upon hearing the news of him getting in trouble in school, he recalls that no adults living in the house. He recalls that he had more than six uncles and his parents. None of the adults said anything to him. Their response to him getting in trouble, their response to him causing this big ruckus in his school, their response was absolutely silent. And he says, had anyone spoken up that day? Had anyone ever told me that I was in the wrong? If had anyone had taken the time to pull me aside and smack me or... or Put in me a time. Anyone had addressed that part that it was my wrongdoing. And he says, I may not have turned out this way, this bad. That scene uh, was certainly most memorable to me. And in all my years of ministry, I have learned. That to measure the value of friendships that you have in the church, you don't measure it by counting how many people that are in support of you no matter what. I've realized, I've learned to measure the value of friendship and relationship, not with those that are, that are willing to stand with me in silence and in support of me, but I've learned the value of seeking out those, value and keeping close to my heart and my life, in my life, those that oppose me, those that uh, 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 take seriously the task of speaking truth to me, those that are not afraid to pointing out my fault. I have learned that 
I am in need of more of those people rather than those that simply praise me, those that simply love me and support me. Are you guys with me? And today, and that is particularly the topic that we want to delve ourselves into, in this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, Paul has a difficult responsibility of pointing out some of the things that are uh, ruining the body of church, body of Christ. He has a difficult responsibility, but necessary responsibility of addressing, bringing up the things that they may not necessarily hear. Having difficult conversations. And that's what I would like you to keep in mind as we explore through the verses that we have just read at the beginning of this sermon. And the first point that I want to make is this. It is a church's responsibility to address sin and discipline believers as a means to protect the body and promote repentance. I want, to, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Hey, it is your responsibility. Oh, you don't have to blame them. You guys are, yeah, it's your responsibility. Okay. Well, that was a little hostile. So tell yourself this time. Say, it is my responsibility. Come on. I want to remind you, first point is that it is our responsibility to address sin, address the difficult portions, and discipline believers as a means to protect the body and promote repentance. When I looked up the word discipline, the dictionary conveys to us that it is penitential chastisement to teach, to correct about what is right and what is wrong. And extended version or the definition would include also the process of change. Meaning it is your responsibility, my responsibility to point out, to recognize the wrong, to recognize the fault in the church, and to address humbly and in a loving way together so that the body of Christ, which is a church, may remain holy, sanctified, and presentable unto our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as a way a loving father disciplines his kids, Paul is now turning the letter to address several specific issues that require addressing. And he begins with the Corinthian church's failure to discipline one who has been sinning in their congregation. You know, after a few years of Paul planting this church, you remember Paul left the church after planting this church. So he left the church. They found Apollos to be their leader. He's now their pastor. He's now their preacher. He's learning. But just within a short amount of time, the church, maybe perhaps out of stubbornness, maybe out of their pride, maybe out of the lack of checking each other in these difficult times, Church has now gone way, way uh, 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 wayside, and, 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 and they now have found themselves corrupt in immorality. So all kinds of sin have now pervaded the body of church. There's temple worship, idol worship. There's sexual immorality. There's gossip. All kinds of corruption have evaded this, uh, 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 now infiltrated this church. And the issue that Paul is calling to attention is, it's quite bothersome. He says in verse, uh, it says verse 1 or 2, he says, A man has been found being together or having had with 
his father's wife. There's clear sexual immorality going on. There's actually uh, incest too, right? So, so Paul is writing to response. So someone had written, written a complaint letter to Paul. Say, hey Paul, Apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, we have just found this out. What do we do? Please help us in addressing this portion of the church. So Paul is now having the responsibility to address this immorality among them, right? But it, the, the way I read uh, these verses, uh, I think it's safe for me to ex, uh, express that Paul is more concerned. Paul is certainly concerned about this man's sin, yes. But Paul is more concerned about the lack of action that the church has taken in response to discovering this particular sin. And the lack of response, I mean that upon discovering this sin, the church has done absolutely nothing. They have found something out. There's immorality. They, they found this out. But the church had done nothing. In verse 2, Paul calls out their arrogance and they say they're proud rather than in mourning. When you read the commentary, the particular commentary that I did read, it says two possibilities. It, it says it conveys a possibility of this man found in immorality. It says this man was in such close relationship with the rest of the church members. I Meaning he was good friends. He was a well-known guy. He was a popular guy. He, he, was in, he was connected to rest of the church body. And out of the fear or out of protecting their relationship with him, the church decided to not speak out. The second possibility, they say that this man who has found in his immorality or moral failure sin, is that he was, in a, he was in a very powerful position. He was a man of great influence. So some people in the church fear that if we were to point out this man's fault, that they were, they were afraid of the, the repercussions. They were afraid of what this man might do the, uh, to the church. They were afraid of the, the possible comebacks of this man if they were to point out what this man had done wrong. But now... With its inaction, the church displayed its dependence and reliance on its connection to those with social elite status, not on Christ. And what Paul wants to convey here, this is what he wants to convey. He's one, he wants to convey that Christians need to see that discipline within the body of Christ is not judgmental, is not vindictive, rather it's restorative and it's protective. He's saying, when we act in response, when we speak up, when we identify and when we address, it's not to harm the individual. Rather, it's the exact opposite of that. So we move not to bring this person down. We move so that we may protect and restore the sanctity which Christ is the head of this body. You see, the church has always struggled in calling out sin. And I don't think this problem or this issue is unique to the time of Apostle Paul. I personally think it's absolutely true today as well. We don't like doing it. We shy away from it. We don't want to cause any tension. Uh, we are afraid to cross boundaries. We don't like rocking the boat. 
We lack to uh, uh, we, we lack steady. We don't want to be the one that's 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 uh, highlighting the issue, and we hate meddling with other people. So we love keeping everyone. We love respecting everyone's boundaries, and a lot of that that has kept us from the resp- uh, faithfully attending to the responsibility of identifying and continuing ourselves to devote to make sure that the church of God is preserved in holiness, and making sure that this becomes a, a, a viable place which the Spirit of God may dwell in. Oftentimes, we resort to responding, you know what, just let them be. A lot of times, we are self-aware of our own imperfection. Sometimes, we are aware of our shortcomings. Sometimes, we are enamored by our own sins as well. So, we say, well, I'm not really in the place to say anything. Well, someone else should definitely deal with it. Or sometimes we take the route of being passive. Well, something should happen. Something will happen. So we kind of let it be as is. And a good portion of the church body, uh, we also confuse that loving people, we confuse loving people as letting them be as they are. Are you with me so far? We confuse that the body, the church body often confuses loving people with condoning sin. And I want to just simply highlight, there's a vastly different, uh, uh, just a vast difference of loving people and condoning sin. It is not the same thing. Support does not mean I'm going to let you be however you want. It's not, you know, you know that's not what support is. You know, sometimes uh, we have to understand in Ephesians chapter 4, when it says, speaking the truth in love, we have to absolutely attend to the responsibility of speaking the truth. I think in my estimation, the Christian church nowadays, there's all kinds of immorality, there's all kinds of corruption, there's all kinds of uh, perversion happening because a lot of time the church is mum about, even upon discovering immorality, wrongdoing, the characteristics that defile the characteristic that of God. Let me ask you a question. Some of you guys are, uh, actually, all of you guys are friends with me, my friends, Right? Because I, I don't know about that. Maybe perhaps you, you and I need a DTR. Okay, define the relationship for those that don't know what that means. I consider you guys friends. Um, and let's say you and I are meeting for lunch, and for whatever reasons, even before having lunch, as soon as I say, hey, how's it going? Hey, Louise, and I flash a big smile. And upon flashing, me a, bi- uh, flashing a big smile, you notice a big big black just pepper flake right at the center of my top tooth. What would you say? What would you do? Oh, you would, you would? You would, you would what? Uh, right? What if I don't understand? Like, uh, what? Would you, would you, how many guys would say, you know what, Scott, hey, you got something in your teeth. Okay, good. Thank you. Uh, I consider you my friends. Those that say, I'm not sure, man. Like, 
how do I, how do I bring this up? This is such a difficult thing, isn't it? Right? Uh, it's not difficult for you. It's a, I, I, how many of you guys know that, uh, just future reference, if it happens, I'm sure it has already happened. I'm just letting you know that you have my full permission to tell me that I got something stuck in my tooth. You're not offending me. You are not shaming me. You are not embarrassing me. In fact, you're saving me for deeper trouble. All you're doing is that, Scott, I love you. I care for you. And stop rocking around embarrassing yourself. I love you as a brother. And if you are truly, if you truly consider me as a friend, I should also have that right. Do you agree with me? Uh, for some females, okay, maybe guys, this is too easy. Females, would you allow me to tell you, Jessica, would you allow me to tell you if I discover something in your teeth? Okay, is that a, that's a resounding yes, yes. That's what we're supposed to do. And I believe that's what, exactly what the church is called for that specific purpose. When we discover imperfections, compromises, we should have the confidence and the assurance to speak into each other's lives. Sometimes, what if I were to say, what if there were areas in my life that I really need intervention and correction? Now, it's no longer just cosmetic issue. What if it's a, it's a deep moral issue? Now, I would certainly hope that there is a place in this church body that can speak to me in a loving manner. And out of deep care and concern for me, that I would have been found. And that's true support. Confuse not those to be friends who are just always affirming you, always overlooking, always going out of their ways to hide those areas of compromising. That's what's happening here. And the reason why we neglect this responsibility as a church is because we are insecure. We are passive. So Paul here, even though he's away from the church, he uses his status, his position, and his relationship to the church to quote-unquote judge the man who had involved himself in an incest. Remember, Paul isn't taking joy over pointing out this particular sin. Paul is not rejoicing. He doesn't take some weird delight in the fact that he's calling this man out. He's not, uh, he's not rejoicing over the putting this person down. Rather, he's committing to upholding Christ in their midst, recognizing and highlighting that, you know what, there's something more of important value. That's not us. We need to make sure that Christ's presence as Christ is ahead of this body, we need to make sure that we, 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 we cleanse, we sanctify as this church is His dwelling place. So Paul is again saying, it is difficult for me to talk in this manner. But Paul is saying, but it's necessary because Christ is in our midst. And it says in verse, uh, verse 5, it says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So here Paul acknowledges the flesh's opposition to change and rebuke of godliness. But he's biting his lip and he's going he's gonna to go for it because it's necessary. 
He says, I'm going to deliver this man to Satan. I don't think he's actually personally, physically delivering this man to Satan. He's not, ush- he's not Ubering him to the gates of hell. What he's saying is that he's talking about, I think he's talking about the removal of this member from the body of Christ, which is a church. So when he says destruction of the flesh, I think he's talking about personal sin sometimes has grave physical consequences as well. So that his spirit may be saved. And that's the most important fact right there. The reason why you do this is because the whole point of discipline, church accountability, is so that we will lead each other to repentance. Because in true repentance, that there is transformation. Think about the time that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord Lord and personal Savior. If you had just listened to the gospel message, if you had just adhered to the message that God loves you, God forgives you no matter what you have done, if the message was just that, guess what? You need to check yourself. You need to check your heart again. When the message was given, there better have been a call for you to physically respond in fullness of your repentance. Where you acknowledge, God, these are the sins that I've committed. I've lived my life in opposition to your will and desire. So I confess these things as they have clearly violated your will and desire and plan for my life. Would you forgive me? Then and only then would forgiveness of sins come. Then and only then are you fully saved and redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Without that repentance, I would say your salvation should be questioned. And Paul is saying, for the purpose of restoration, for the purpose of repentance, we want to be able to lead the person for the chance of hearing the truth and recognize the sin in his or her life and be able to uh, 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 un- uncover, uh, unearth that. Remember, Paul's bigger concern here is not this man who had committed sin. Rather, it's a church he's raising issue with. That is a greater indictment in the eyes of Paul. And Paul says, what happens when you allow sin that has been committed in their midst, and you, un- you do not address it, you ignore it, or you overlook it. And look with me here in verse 6. It says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. So Paul gives this analogy of leaven or yeast. He's saying just a tiny bit of leaven or yeast causes the entire bread to rise much bigger than the size of the leaven. And he's saying sin doesn't stay isolated. He says sin never stays static or nicely contained in one area. The nature of sin, sin has a power to affect all those things that surround that one particular sin. So he's giving this analogy, when you have leaven that is infected, now replace it. Have, uh, uh, he's saying, now you better know that a little leaven leavens the entire lump of dough. 
And he's saying, Christ has come to cleanse the old from the coming into the new. He has made a way to remove the old and bring the new. Understand today that small area of compromise, maybe perhaps personally to you, the area that you compromise and sin, in the areas that you continue to struggle over, that has the power to translate and to affect the larger body, which we call church. You guys know years ago that I spent some time uh, overseas in, in Afghanistan. And my primary ministry in Afghanistan was orphanage ministry. So we house uh, anywhere from 30 to 35 um, orphaned kids. Uh, by their cultural definition, if you do not have a father, you're considered an orphan. So you may have siblings, you may have your mom, you may have extended families, but if you do not have a father, you are considered an orphan. Uh, the society being patriarchal society, uh, heavily male-dominant, uh, average women w- was not allowed to hold a consistent job or a lucrative job enough to, uh, 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 lucrative enough to support or sustain their entire family. So we had a lot of kids where, whose father was not in the picture in their lives. So uh, when you live with 30 kids, um, kids in general, they're, they're rowdy. Uh, kids are the same uh, everywhere in the world. They don't like to brush their teeth all the time. They're not very good at washing themselves. Uh, they play with dirt. They, they, they pick up things and they, they put it in their mouth. And they're so uh, uh, the kids' hygiene is always, always uh, of high priority. And we had about 10 kids, 10 out of the 30 kids, that, uh, that spent time in the public school, which they would go outside the orphanage compound and spend about half a day, right? And they come back. And God knows what kind of germs, uh, what they're playing with, who they're touching, who's coughing on them. So uh, our kids, our children's hygiene was always, always uh, paid closer attention, right? And uh, I've seen uh, chicken pox going around. I've seen a, uh, I couldn't find it. I tried to, I made the mistake of Googling with the medical, never do that. If you have, if you're curious about a medical condition, never Google it. Never click the Google images because you're going to regret. So I, I feel like they had a, they had like things growing out of their heads as so big, which I have seen like our, our local manager just cutting out with a razor blade so that it would not continue to affect their scalps. Uh, again, don't Google that. Um, and then sometime uh, we went around. Um, <laughs> I have never seen this in my life because I think because living in the Western society, uh, being uh, well vaccinated, um, I, I noticed that a uh, couple kids woke up with like their their cheeks just about to pop out of their I don't I don't know like just uh, swollen like throat like their glands right. And then I asked her, what, what's going on here? And then they said something like, it's infectious. They need to be kept away. It's mumps. Have you guys ever seen anyone infected with mumps? Have you had the mumps before? When? When you were in Mexico. See, this is why. I was just going to say, you should have had no business of getting mumps. Um, only in those poor, uh, poorly attended countries. Uh, Luis is from Mexico, by the way. Yeah. A Chinese man from Mexico. Anyways, so, uh, so we had kids. So they're affected. So uh, because you, when you live with 30 kids, 
you're going to basically give what you have to other kids because they're sleeping together. But it was funny because uh, those infected kids, we made sure that they ate separately. So 30 kids are eating in one room together. This guy is like, it's like time out for life for the entirety of the week. He had to sleep by himself in the, in the, in the living room. He had to eat by himself. He was not allowed to play outside when the kids are playing outside. So he had to be in the opposite place of where the general crowd was at. Uh, but for some un- 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 for whatever unlucky reason, if he happened to have caught it, repeat the process. Uh, we were going because we were vaccinated. We we're adults. They said the chances of you con- uh, contracting mumps is is very low. So we're we're fine. I mean, none of us really worried about it because you know we were taken care of. And one day I wake up from my house, and my wife wakes up saying, honey, I don't feel good. And I turn over, and she, her cheeks were just puffed up, like, like as if she was playing like, marsh, uh, what is it, chubby bunny marshmallow. Like she's had about 10, 10 marshmallows. And, and her mouth was so puffed up. And I think it's because of inflammation of your salivatory uh, uh, glands. So you can't swallow. You're not producing anything. So very uncomfortable, very painful. Guess what? I had to have a very difficult conversation with my wife. Say, hey, look, honey, I love you. Don't take this personally. But you're not allowed to come to church. I mean, you're not allowed to come to the orphanage today. You're going to stay home by yourself. You're going to make sure that you eat by yourself. You don't go anywhere. You stay in your room and stay away from my kids. And, I mean, we had, I mean, it was, I mean, I, I'm laughing about it now. I, I'm, I'm telling it because it, it, it's long past, but... It was really like, it was really intense because we had no idea what was going on. We had no idea how to treat this too. Same thing, guys. If there is an infected area in the body, it is a responsibility of the church. Paul is contending. Are you able to care for that person? And even to the point of separating from the body, For the time being. Not for the purpose of allowing this person to live in isolation. But for the purpose of bringing full health the rest of the body. Are you with me here so far? Second point. Oh, that's the picture I wanted to show you guys. Times that by two. Paul is saying believers are, believers are to disassociate themselves from false Christians who harm the body. Did you know that what is more harmful? The ungodliness, the careless living, unrighteousness, unrighteous living of an unbeliever, or careless, unrighteous living of a believer? Paul is saying, that is expected from the rest of the world. Sin, compromises, unrighteousness. Paul is saying, that's expected from the world. He's saying, but when such is found in the body of Christ, he goes to the length and saying, you better be ready to disassociate yourselves. You better make sure that you are not bringing that infectious portion to the body that should be healthy, that should be sanctified and made holy. 
when we read a message, when we read a portion of scripture that way, it seems harsh, doesn't it? It seems rather cold because a church is a place where we should love everybody. Church is a place where we should allow others to come in. Church is a place where everyone should be led to the uh, process of being transformed and experiencing this transformative grace of our God. But I I assure you, church, church will not be the place that brings about transformation if the church continues to live in compromising ways, if we refuse to neglect sin, if we refuse to call sin as sin and call it as something else, if we continue to bat a blind eye, uh, uh, continue to uh, give a blind eye to those areas of infected areas, then we will find ourselves in a much more dangerous place. Perhaps a place that you and I are not yet ready to be a part of. So ask yourselves this question, or these questions. Is the way I live aligned with the ways of the church? Is the way I live aligned with the ways of Christ's holiness? Does the the way I think Or does the way I behave make sense with the ways of our God? Is it in violation of what the Word of God says? You know, we're living in an era where everything is condoned. Subjectivity has highlighted, encouraged more than any other era, at least in my life. I think when we fail to live our lives according to as God's word being the ultimate authority, scripture being the ultimate guidance and the moral compass in which how we should live, then we would find ourselves in much, much more troubled state. So, as beloved members of Rooftop Church, and also perhaps as more importantly, as members of the church, with capital C, we have the responsibility. First of all, you have the personal responsibility to constantly check your life and make sure that you align yourself before God and come to God in the presence of God in full repentance and asking God to purify us, purify our hearts, purify our minds. And if there's any ways... I'm not saying, I'm not, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you and I are, are, are mandated to live a life of perfection and, 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 and devoid of any kind of mistakes. I'm not saying that. But in our imperfection, we are equally as committed to repentance, humbly coming before God so that the grace of God may transform our hearts deep within and eventually affecting the outward lives as well. And... If someone, in, someone that you love in your life is, is found in such compromising situations, and I pray that you would have the courage, as you love that person as your dear brother or dear sister, cautiously approach, hey, I love you, but these are the words that you do need to hear. And let me help you. And let's go to God together. Let's come to God together.
That is our responsibility. The church, guys, the Bible says it is a dwelling place of our God. And our God is holy. He is righteous. And we must not forget that the choices that we make in our selfishness have the power to greatly offend God. As the choices that we make in our cautious, in our reverence before God, have all the power to please God. May you and I devote ourselves to living our lives pleasing Him.